So the Bible reading today is Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 1. And you can find this on page 1002 in the Church Bibles if you want to follow along. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. There we go. Can you see my face? I don't know if that's a good thing or not. (laughs) I'm sure it is a good thing. Well, lovely to be with you. I'm very um, pleased to be giving a sermon during the second week of Advent. Uh, There is a rumour going around that um, I love this season so much that I've had it, seen of it tattooed on my arm. Uh, Now, that couldn't possibly be true. But if it were, (laughs) at least that's proof that I believe what I'm about to preach. (laughs) Uh, The whole of the first chapter of Mark is truly good gospel writing. We're not starved of action or significance in hearing it. In a nutshell, Mark chapter 1 begins with the proclamation of John the Baptist, and that's the window with which we'll primarily be peering through today. Um, Then comes the baptism of Jesus. This is immediately followed by Satan's temptation of Jesus uh, in the desert for 40 days where he, Jesus, is ministered to by angels. John is arrested and Jesus begins his ministry in Galilee, calling the first disciples, removing unclean spirits and healing people. Friends were off and running. At the outset of the verses proclaimed to us by Carol today, the author Mark declares his primary intention to tell the world about Jesus whose identity is revealed as the Messiah. This, he says, is the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Whenever you read the Gospel of Mark or hear it read today, uh, think of it as setting the scene. His was the earliest Gospel and the others, at least Matthew and Luke, elaborate a little more. The big picture here is that he wants to tell us about the beginning of a new era, a time and a place in which God has entered human history in an unprecedented way. It's the gospel era. The kingdom of God has dawned. There's prophecy within the words which we've heard read today and the beauty of prophetic scripture is that we don't just get given the scene in front of us. 
we're reminded that these events have been foretold. So in seeing them be accomplished in these words, we're given an insight into the divine plan, which gives great comfort to humans like ourselves that God has a plan. God has always got this. Uh, God always knew this. God is doing this. And God is fulfilling God's word. I find that Advent readings have a luminous quality about them, where, it, where it's likely that your ears are pricked, your heart is ready, and your soul is stirring with recognition of the truth and grace of what you will hear in them. From Isaiah 40, God says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. This is God seven to eight hundred years prior to the current wilderness scene that we're, we're exploring, announcing his intention to visit his people. God gives directions for the way to be prepared. By who? By the people God wants to visit? No. By God's own servants. Throughout history, God sends prophets. In this case, a messenger, he says, I will send ahead of you. Note that God doesn't say, look, tell the people to get ready, and when they've done so, I'll come to them. God says, prepare the way. I'm coming to my people, really, whether they're ready or not. In Old Testament accounts, God is usually talking to a people. But for a moment, I just invite you to play with the idea that God is addressing it to you. Me again. Elaine, David, prepare the way. Thanks for the next slide, Vicky. Enter stage left, the appearance in the Judean wilderness of John, baptizer, preacher of repentance, and the very precursor of Jesus prophesied in Isaiah. Unkindly labelled the crazy uncle of the Bible by some. <laughs> Perhaps that's you in your family. <laughs> Uh, God's messenger is here. Wearing clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and eating locusts and wild honey, John the Baptist is basically an Old Testament figure. He matches descriptions of Elijah in Kings or in Malachi. In truth, I think the descriptor of what John looks like indicates someone who doesn't care about his appearance or even his own comfort or survival. So sold out is he to the significance and the imminence of what he's preaching. Asceticism of this kind also wasn't unheard of as a spiritual discipline in those days. Chronologically, this isn't the first appearance in the Bible of John the Baptist. Not only had his life been foretold, but his birth had long been hoped and prayed for by his parents, Zechariah, a priest from the tribe of Levi, and Elizabeth, a relative of Mary, who were godly, devout people, but who were also old and childless. You know the story. While Zechariah was burning incense in the holy place of the temple, the angel Gabriel appears to him, announcing that God had chosen he and Elizabeth to bear a son who would be the forerunner of the promised Messiah. They were to name him John, and he would be filled with the Holy Spirit, and dedicated to the Lord's service even before birth. 
This was a busy time for the angel Gabriel, who a few months later appears to Joseph and Mary individually to share the news of her pregnancy, also conceived by the Holy Spirit. Then when Mary and Elizabeth meet with each other and the sound of Mary's voice, the baby John leaps in Elizabeth's womb. Zechariah, who'd been struck mute until after his son's birth, is now able to speak again. And at the baby's birth declares, You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him. I don't know about you, but I'm sure we've all felt similarly at the birth of our own children, right? (laughs) But he goes on, The rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Zechariah and Elizabeth's baby grew up to be the man we know as John the Baptist and the repentance that John preached prepared people's hearts for faith in Jesus Christ. What God had announced centuries earlier and what Elizabeth and Zechariah had long prayed for and knew was that John's life had a purpose, a purpose which would change everything. Little wonder then that he was able to draw a crowd the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Thanks for the next slide, Vicky. Things must have been either desperate, insufficient or soulless in the temples of Jerusalem with sacrifices and rituals of purity offered in the place of real experience of God. It's not surprising then that it is said that all the people of Jerusalem went out. Where were they going to encounter him? Well, the wilderness, that good old wilderness motif, long recognised as a place of encounter with God, a place where faithful people experience challenge and where their hearts are revealed. Think of the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years, Jesus' own temptations out there, or perhaps you've said it in a contemporary use of the phrase in your own life. Gosh, it feels like I've been in the wilderness with this for years. What wilderness are you currently encountering now? You've stepped out in faith because of the promises of God or you're waiting for something for a long time, clinging to a promise of God and that which you've been hoping would be fulfilled hasn't happened yet. It's a place of waiting with the potential of encounter is our wilderness But in our passage here, the people are choosing wilderness, water and sackcloth over the temple rituals and finery. They sensed, even in these early days of the gospel era, what we know, don't we? That the answer to the spiritual needs of the world would not come from the well-dressed Jerusalem establishment. The Jesus they'll soon encounter often had no place to lay his head. We can see this movement from the temple to the wilderness as the way of God already in action. We know that the earliest Christians, before they were even known as Christians, were referred to as followers of the way. Whenever I've considered it before, I've imagined it's a clearing of the path for the Lord to come, to come through. But maybe it's something more. Prepare ye the way is a call and invitation to live differently. Some scholars believe that it's from our, our 
very passage today, prepare ye the way of the Lord, that this reference of the way comes. So prepare to live differently. When I was in year eight at my secular northwestern Sydney public high school, uh, I was in the chorus for a production of Godspell. I had to audition for it, of course, but lucky for me, the number of spots available exceeded the number of hopefuls wishing for a spot. (laughs) Uh, My only memory of my exciting theatrical debut was some finger clicking, some hip swaying and the tigerless sweet voices of 12 14-year-old teens singing, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And I won't go on, I promise. <laughs> Pre, but I know it, you're singing it now, aren't you? Pre, you can imagine it was a beautiful chorus. We were swinging and we were so sweet. And you know what? If Jesus was coming, it was probably because of how lovely we sounded. <laughs> but John would have been bolder than that. His voice would have had to reach the crowds and stir them. The way he was preaching was something that they'd not ever heard before. And there's an immediacy in his preaching. His was the urgency of a tsunami warning system. The tide is coming. Prepare is not a gentle option for you to think about if you'd like to get ready. Rather, a wholehearted aching. The time is now. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. The little boy, Jesus, that John would have known and played with during childhood was walking around somewhere nearby to this crowd. He was in the area. He would soon come to them and be baptised himself among them and his full identity as the Lamb of God was about to become known. It was working. John was preaching repentance from sin and baptism and people were coming forward, opening their hearts and were blessed and changed irrevocably by the waters of baptism. Their hearts were being prepared to encounter the Lord whose presence among them was so close. John's approach to baptism turned a corner. Ritual purity was no longer required. Rather, this was about contrition, and honesty in the context of divine encounter. The forgiveness was even available as an option, was a revolution, and that in this new way God would even care to know the darkest parts of our heart, bathe us in the waters of forgiveness, and welcome us into the kingdom, it's almost too exquisite to bear, especially for a people under Roman oppression and hierarchical often corrupt, or at the very least, unimaginative religious leadership. We don't often lead with sin in our church preaching, at least not in the Australian churches that I've experienced. And let me be honest with you about what I think. Sometimes when preachers do, it's a bit slimy, guilt-ridden, politically or tribally motivated, or at least ineffectual. But an example of it at its best is on Ash Wednesday when with a simple gesture of ashes on our forehead, we are implored to turn away from sin and be faithful to the gospel. John led the preaching of repentance from sin the right way 
He sought their conversion of heart. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. Confession of those things which afflict our soul is deep, honest, reflective work. I imagine in the waters of the Jordan, people weren't simply coming with a list of their crimes, perhaps they were to start with. I punched my brother, I lied to my wife, I stole a horse. Because this wasn't merely about behaviour modification, rather I'm filled with rage that I cannot contain. I'm deceitful, I'm so ashamed of who I am. I suffer from greed of wanting what other people have. And they were met with a message of mercy that returning to God from the depths of darkness is something we can do. Previously, people wouldn't have expected to have been forgiven. Now the whole of humanity had a second chance. This is the God of infinite chances. This is what the way looks like. Thanks for the next slide, Vicky. Some of you, a couple of you I know, have heard this story, but um, in which case I tell it again in this context. Many years ago, um, as a young mum of two little boys, um, we were part of a church community and we uh, were going through a difficult time in our family of grief um, and a little bit of chaos. But I just had one of those days where I was determined just to get to church, pray about it, the kids weren't going to muck up, and I just needed that time with God a bit desperately. And so I could tell that the boys were about three and five at the time, they were a bit antsy, and that never goes well, especially not when this anxiety and calamity I was holding in my heart was starting to take hold. But Mark and I grabbed their hands, walked them into church and said, Julie, right, sit. Nobody caused, nobody muck up. <laughs> I remember um, we started, we were praying and there's a, a part in the service which was leading up to communion, which is such a special part of a service, right? And that time of communion, I was praying, praying out of the corner of my eye. I could see one of the boys grab a, a car out of his pocket and hurl it down the aisle and start running his brother chased him down the aisle and then they threw the car down underneath the pew and had to crawl under people's legs to get there and the fury was rising in me and in this most holy moment of the service, a communion, I was just plotting how to murder these kids. <laughs> I was so mad about it. And out of the corner of my eye along the edge of the pew, I saw a woman, an older woman, just kind of looking down at me and I just thought, no, keep praying, keep praying. And we got through the service um, we stood up and I thought, I just need to get out of here as soon as I can, as soon as we can. I continue to forget Mark is in these scenes too often. Uh, so grabbed the kids' hands and, you know, was prepared to march out and I saw this woman coming towards me and my, my dialogue was saying, please don't judge me. I just want to get out. Because people do that, don't they? They tell parents, choose your kids are a bit rotten today or something like that. But I looked and I saw her coming towards me and she comes up and she says, I just want to tell you that your kids are so beautiful. They've got so much energy. <laughs> I know because I was the mother of boys, young boys once. 
you're doing a great job. Hang in there. Oh. <laughs> oh. The negativity, I mean, sure, it wasn't, wasn't crash-hot parenting, and I could confess that. But the negativity, the self-loathing and shame... The darkest part of my heart at that time was met with tenderness. I was expecting judgment and received love. In this encounter with God, I was seen, there was clarity, and I was forgiven. Therefore, I couldn't hold on to my mask anymore. It was cracking open, and along with a deep sense of peace, the tears came. I recollected myself a little bit in front of this woman who I'd never met and I said to her, um, my name's Lisa, what's your name? Grace, she said. <laughs> I said, you're kidding. <laughs> uh, we were regulars at that parish and we'd not ever met Grace before and we didn't ever see her again. And I just wondered that that was a messenger to me. Prepare the way. This is the way. You're loved and you're seen and you're forgiven. And I've got this. And it was a baptism of the Holy Spirit because it released in me the gift of encouragement. <laughs> I would search out parents of toddlers having tantrums in shops <laughs> so I could go over to them and say, you've got this. What great kids you have. <laughs> I was a bit unstoppable and probably a bit insufferable for a while. But that's what John was preaching. He knew that this was the experience of life we were made for and he couldn't but tell people about it. John was not only preparing the way, he was already a practitioner of it. The kingdom of God had already filled John's heart and still John is saying there's more. He who is coming is really good news. And John poured water over their head and immersed them fully their tears would have flown freely, the freedom of the forgiven. If you'd like to, I just invite you to close your eyes and imagine that you are standing waist deep in the Jordan River and a baptizer is with you. Search the deepest part of your heart. And for a few moments, Confess to them what it is that God already knows is waiting to hear and is ready to forgive. Beautiful words of confession and assurance are a part of our practice as a community of believers. 
And I'll, uh, I'll read this and then the next slide we'll read together. Knowing the goodness of God and our failure to respond with love and obedience, let us confess our sins, saying together, Heavenly Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love, but we have broken your holy laws and have left undone what we ought to have done. We are sorry for our sins and turn away from them. For your sake of your Son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us and change us. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. God is slow to anger and full of compassion, forgiving all who humbly repent and trust in his Son as Saviour and Lord. God therefore forgives us in Christ Jesus, in whom there is no condemnation. Amen. Thanks for the next slide, Vicky. John the Baptist, like perhaps like many megachurch pastors of today, could have been forgiven for looking over the crowds and being pleased with the number of followers he was personally amassing, but it was never about him. It was always about who he was pointing them to. In the Gospel of John, we hear it said of John the Baptist so poignantly, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. John's, life work, John's life's work and the purpose set out for him from the beginning of time is embodied in the scene where he's baptising with one hand and pointing with the other. I'll baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. John was right on the precipice of history and salvation, wasn't he? John himself will probably be alarmed at the amount of time I've spent on him and not on Jesus during this sermon. He humbly knew that there was someone greater than himself. It doesn't often end well for prophets throughout history, and this is true for John, imprisonment, torture, and eventual beheading. But not before he had what must truly be considered one of the greatest honours of all time. Thanks for the next slide, Vicky. Baptising Jesus himself, seeing the heavens torn apart, a dove descending on Jesus, then hearing with John's own ears the voice of the Father coming from the clouds, this is my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. Ah, his life's work is fulfilled. I'm taken with the idea that the peace and the commissioning of baptism were needed by Jesus too because he was soon about to be battling a demon in the desert, a not unfamiliar precursor to the beginning of extraordinary ministry, even in our own times. John, in his imprisonment, was consoled in the knowledge that Jesus' public uh, ministry had begun and, like ourselves, is encouraged by testimonies of healings, miracles and lives restored. In our own day... Every effort we make seeking justice, building peace, loving unconditionally, praying, we are causing the will of God to be realised here, today, perhaps in your next conversation. We say, come Lord Jesus, and just like John, we have a significant role in preparing and living the way. 
As Zechariah prophesied over his newborn son, may the words also be said of our own lives, that because of us, heaven shines on those living in darkness, and even in the shadow of death, we might guide others onto the path of peace. Bless all those and all of you who are brokenhearted. Jesus came for you. Bless the messengers with special thanks to John the Baptist, the best of them. There is profound beauty in a life lived so that Jesus may be known. Bless you and me and all of us as we wait in hope of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, Saviour of the world, this Advent. Amen.